House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. Uh, today we have a publisher joining us. So we're moving on up. <laughs> today we have Ian Hensel from Rattling Good Yarns Press. Thank you for being here, Ian. Well, it, as always, it's it's a pleasure, Alan. So, how is publishing going? Uh, uh, you know, how how is it being a small publisher in these uh, turbulent times? And and also, I guess with the times of you know Amazon and all the other things going on, what's it like? Wow, there's the whole interview right there. there that one question. <laughs> Well, I think when last, you know, you had me on the show um, was maybe about 18 months ago, possibly a little, you know, a little bit longer than that. And I had just taken over uh, running Rattling Good Yarns Press. Um, so how are things for, for you know, for a, a, a small indie publisher? Things are going very well for us. Um we now have 11 titles that we've published, and we're coming out with about another nine this year, which would give us a total of, uh, oh, of well, about 20 titles. Uh, so I know what I'm working on all the way through Christmas of 2021. Crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I, I, so how do you, how do you gauge... Um, what kind of business you think you're going to get? Like, there's there's so many people now that are self-publishing, right? They're just uh, putting it up, Amazon or Ingram Sparks or however they want to do it. Um, so so what's so what do you think? Like, do you do you worry about um, dilution? Like, there's so much um, so much out there coming out. Uh, the competition must be really hard. Well, you know, it's it's all about the. I, I think it's really well true. I mean, a lot of people are are publishing, probably more than ever. Um, I, I think it's all about, you know, the quality of the, the quality of what you're publishing, and we're a very small independent uh, publisher. And what and it's interesting because we're starting to get recognition in the LGBTQ uh, authors community, and I'm having uh, award-winning authors coming to us because you know it's getting harder and harder to get published. And so, for instance, um, I know you had interviewed Philip Gamboni. Right. About a couple of months ago, I think um, his uh, his book, as far as I can tell, Finding My Father in World War Two. And I think that's a classic example. Um, he had gone to other publishers before Rattling Good Yarns Press, and they said that they liked it, but they didn't know what the market was. They, they, they couldn't see what the market was for the book. Um, and, and I get that because... If you're even a small publisher where you're hiring an editor, uh, a designer, someone to do layout, you know, you've sunk quite a bit of money into the production of the, of the book. So you have to sell a certain number of copies or be confident that you're going to sell a certain number of comp copies to just break even. And we're, we're not, so, you know, so let's say you've sunk with salaries and everything, you've sunk, you know, five, six thousand dollars into it. You know, you probably have to sell, um, about, um, maybe, you know, at, at maybe you're going to get 10 bucks a book. So you have to sell quite a few copies before you'll even break even on a title. We, operate on a very low overhead model. So I, I keep our overhead very, very low. So that means we could take risks. 
because our break-even point is that much lower than a, uh, a larger publisher. So, for example, uh, one of our best-selling books has been Phil's, uh, Phil Gamboni's, uh, as far as I can tell. And it, it, it's selling extremely well and through all channels, including Amazon and including, you know, where people buy the book directly from us. So, so we could take, you know, so net net is we could take more risks and we can bring out quality works. Um, other publishers, you know, there is a focus on quality, but they have to make sure that they're going to sell enough copies to cover their costs. Yeah, it's pretty complicated. You can take a chance and take a loss, but I guess that's any business, right? So, um, so when when someone sends you a book, how do you know? it's going to be one that you're going to do like are you strictly sticking to the lgbtq community or are you going to go outside of that no we're we're going to stay within our our niche because i think that's where you know our our hearts lie and our talents lie so interesting we get very we usually don't accept submissions i've just recently opened it up where we will but we typically work off of word of mouth so it's kind of like a speakeasy and you know someone knocks on the door and says joe sent me <laughs> so we really get authors or authors referring authors um be, because of course while overhead is lost is low we still have, you know, amount of time that we invest. And, you know, to read a manuscript um, takes time. So we're usually more receptive to where it's been a referral. We ask for a synopsis, and if we like the synopsis, we'll ask for the first two or three chapters. And if we like that, we'll ask for the full manuscript. So what's the most important thing? Is it is it the... Um literary components or is it more the story they're trying to tell? Both. Um, and, and the reason why I hesitated a bit, because you have, you have, uh, when it comes to fiction, fiction that falls into the category of literary and fiction that falls into the category of commercial uh, commercial being more plot driven, there is some internal uh, character uh, that there. What's going on internally with the character can move the plot, but it's much more plot driven. Literary is much more uh, the internal, the emotions of the character uh, driving it, it, it forward. Uh, we we do both. Uh, we are looking at doing some what I would call light fiction uh, to balance out some of our more literary works. Hmm. But it's always quality, you know, quality of content. You know, be it, be it a book that was, uh, was created in a more commercial vein or a more literary vein, they have to be good stories, good plots, well-written. Quality still matters. That's interesting. So now, you know, okay, so your focus in the community itself. So each of your books has some some sort of, um, I don't know, let's say some sort of a, at least a character or some sort of meaning directed at the LGBTQ community, right? It's not. Yes, yes. They don't always have to be central. So as far as I can tell, Finding My Father in World War II by Philip Gamboni is uh, a memoir, but it's his reaction as a gay man who um, was received the 4F because he told them he was gay. So I think he went for his um, draft board induction. It must have been about 1970, 71, and he admitted that, that he was gay. And so they did not draft him. But, you know, so there, there is that dynamic playing against him trying to get to know his father better and his father who did serve. There is a gay thread in it, I should say, or an LGBTQ thread. Um, so all of our books would have 
some LGBTQ influence in the book. So, how do you how do you feel now that you've you've done this for about two years or so, something like that? How, are you getting out of it what you think you plan? Like this is you know like a couple of years ago when you were seeing this and you were taking this over, um, are you kind of where you think where you thought you'd be? I guess um, two years from now we're a little bit ahead of where I thought we would be. Oh, okay. So things are better. Um, th- things are better, certainly in terms of, of recognition. Uh, about two years ago, um, you know, I was at a point of, so I, I think I shared with you last time that I retired from a 42 year corporate career and I was a project manager. I was a product manager for software. So I used to figure out what needed to be developed or how we needed to keep software competitive with what with what other com- our competitors were doing. Um, I kind of approach Rattling Good Germs Press in, in a similar vein. So I look at our catalog as our quote-unquote portfolio and how are we going to expand and round out the portfolio of books because I think there's a halo effect that – one book influences another and could generate sales as people become, you know, more interested in, in what we're publishing. So we're, we're ahead in that we are, um, we are, the catalog has been diversified. We only had one or two authors. We now have uh, much more than that. I believe we have 10 authors now. And so, so I think we're, you know, I think we're a little bit ahead. We're right on target, if not a little bit ahead of where I wanted to be. Well, that's good. Uh, So where do you see your, where do you see this going? Is this going to go someplace you never thought it would be? Or um, do you see doing this in another 10 years still? And, uh, and uh, where do you see a publishing business like this going? Well, I would like to see us continue to add to our portfolio and expand. Um, I certainly want us to have more authors that represent the broader section of the LGBTQ community. So I'd like us to be even more diverse than we are now. And, um, you know, I see us in, you know, I, I, I see us perhaps achieving more recognition. But it's an interesting question you ask because I I tend to keep the long term in mind, but it doesn't overwhelm what we're doing at the moment. So let me explain. In my corporate career, there was always a frustration of, um, oh, you need to look at the next big thing, and and somebody had a big idea, and all the resources would be poured into it. And I think often quality suffers, the the end user suffers. So, you know, for for right now, I, I really just focus one book at a time. But I would like to see our catalog and our uh, our base of authors grow and become more diverse. Well, what would so when you say that, are, what what are you looking for? Like, kind of what subjects would you look for or be interested in to expand that portfolio? Well, it, it, it's interesting because right now we're working on um, uh, a novel from our um, from a lesbian author. She's uh, Yvonne Zipter. She's an award winning uh, poet, and she has uh, written a novel. Uh, so we'll be coming out with our first um, lesbian-focused book. Uh, we'll also be coming out with a book. We have our first Latino uh, author, um, Gerard Cabrera. Uh, he's uh, Puerto Rican, and um, we're going to be publishing uh, his first novel later this year. So... Yeah, I want to see the characters become more diverse, the uh, the authors become more diverse. 
you know, and with that, we'd love to have more people of color and transgender people. But again, you know, we're not going to publish anything just because we're going to publish it because it has, it's a quality work and it's a voice that deserves to be heard. And, um, you know, I kind of come back to our mission, which is to bring overlooked voices to light. And, and that's still our mission, which is to bring those voices out into the light. But again, they, they have to be quality works. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of strange. I, 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 I don't know. I'm kind of not sure what to think of publishers now. Uh, <laughs> Why? What's your impression? Well, I, I have a problem with, well, not, I don't even know how to say this. Um, I, you know, I, I do a lot of nonfiction books, and I've had some really good successes and some not so good. But with three different publishers that I've had, um, they're all very, very straight. So, so I don't, there, there's no publishing fact. There's no publishing group that fits gay writers that are not writing about gay subjects. We do. Well, not, well, maybe you're as close as they come, but I don't really see it. But you might have. I, the ones I've come across um, aren't really outside of the gay community. And and I say that normally, I'm, I haven't really looked closely, actually, so I don't want to get myself into trouble. But I also say that about the groups. Like, there's so many groups that are um, LGBTQ writers, and it's always uh, male-male fiction or, male, you know, there's always these categories. But what I write is never allowed in any of these groups. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I couldn't post my book... And I tried it a few times and realized, oh, this isn't going. This isn't going to go well. So, uh, because people are looking at the subject, and they're not looking at the writer. So I get left out of almost all of the groups, um, in my experience. So I, I'm just sort. Of, I'm used to it by now. I'm not saying that as a. I'm not trying to be a whiner here, but um, I just say I'm used to it now because. Um, that's just how, that's just my experience. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I could see, I, I could see how you could, you know, how you would uh, feel that way. I, you know, so I, I come back to as far as I can tell, which is a gay author and his sensibility is inserted into it, but it's, it's not what I would call traditional LGBTQ book, and I know that's what other publishers that that Philip had spoken to had issues with. You know, it wasn't history, it wasn't memoir, it wasn't gay. Um, well, that's sort of what I mean. I don't just, I'm not just picking on uh, gay publishers or, or you or anything like that. What I'm saying is, in general, I find that over the years, I found it best to go to the group that sort of publishes that category and I seem to have better luck with and um, it, with that gets left behind my identity you know what I'm saying yes yes and I you know I think that's important you know for the author we're, we're publishing a novel um, this summer by the playwright James Magruder um, so uh, he, he wrote the book for the musical on Broadway, Triumph of Love. And he also adapted the book for the musical Head Over Heels. Um, and um, his, I wouldn't call there's a gay character in it, but I wouldn't call it, uh, there's a gay man who's a character that some chapters or sections focus on but I wouldn't necessarily call it a, a gay book. You know, it, it, it is more about the, the lives, the evolution of relationships between a set of characters. Um, so the fact that there's an LGBTQ character in it 
is fine. And the fact that he's a, a gay author. So, you know, it's really, I guess for us, it's an, it's a work by work. Yeah. Sort of uh, decision that we make. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. You know, I, I just don't, uh, like I said, so I've, I've kind of always played it by, by ear, how I go. And, uh, it's it's worked out for the most part, but it's just um, uh, I just never thought about uh, going to a gay publisher anymore. How many how many gay publishers are there anyway nowadays? Oh, you know, I don't have a count. There aren't there aren't that many. Uh, it's kind of a dwindling. You know, publishers have been going out of business. It's it's kind of a dwindling. Uh, population. Um, so I, I, you know, I really, I really couldn't say, but I understand the kinds of pressures they're under. Again, I come back to our business model that allows us to do what we do. So, you know, my goal is that we, we break even and we, we, we are actually making, you know, we're doing better than break even. Um, you know, my goal is to not lose money and it's to keep the cost per book for the project down. And, and we're, we're able to do that very successfully. But th- this may be a bit of a tangent because um, I it, it, it's funny. I finally admitted when when Philip and I when when we were editing his book, as far as I can tell, Towards the end, I revealed to him that he he didn't know it, but he was actually in a software project. So, you know, I took I, I took all of my product and project management experience, and and that's the way I I run it. So the language I use tends to be more software oriented than book publishing. Uh, so, so it's interesting. We have a very efficient model and that allows us to take, that allows us to take risks. That's great. I mean, uh, because that's a success because there is, like you said, a lot of the smaller publishers have not survived or not done well and, uh, you know, changing times. And I think a lot of it is probably to do with Amazon and that whole thing that's going on. And, um, it's, well, Amazon's an important channel for us. Oh yeah, it is. But um, but what happens is, is something like Amazon. Like, don't get me wrong, they 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 sell my books, but um, it becomes too main. Uh, it's too much of the the market. It, it is. It becomes where it's their way or or no way, and. There also there's no regulation on what they release. Like there's no gatekeeper, you would say. Um, so you get everything being published. So the 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 map is inundated with thousands of releases uh, every month. Oh yes, you know you have people choosing to self-publish. Um, you you know so I kind of look at the whole book process. Maybe I look at it differently. Again, you know, I'm just now thinking, am I looking at it from more of a software perspective? But, you know, so I, um, you know, within a book, in self-publishing, even if you're in publishing a book, there are several things that have to happen. You know, the book has to be edited. So you have to go through an editing process. And that could be either proofreading or line editing where, you know, you you may start pointing, the editor may start pointing out word choice or questions about the plot. Um, What's the character motivation as opposed opposed to just proofreading? You then have cover design and you have book layout. All those are important. With self-publishing, those three often fall by the wayside. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a problem. Uh, you know, we we also go to great lengths to make sure our covers are original. I'll never forget. Um, I was at uh, it was uh, two years ago at the LGBTQ Literary Festival Saints and Sinners in New Orleans, and they had like a sale a sales room 
where, you know, you could buy books from authors and there were two different authors, same cover on their books <laughs> because it was stock art. And so we, we, we tend to avoid that. So there is, there is a lot that I think the publisher can bring to the equation. Uh, you know, self-publishing, you know, and you have hybrid publishers that are kind of pay for play where, you know, you have to kick in some money and they kick in some money and it gets published. We're not that. We're traditional publisher. Um, we try not to, you know, have an appetite that's bigger than our stomach. So, it, it, again, it's about controlling costs, doing quality work with every every project. So I, I don't know, you know, so for Amazon, one of the things I know is that Amazon has a lion's share of um, the ebook market. So when it comes to ebooks, that's where we focus rather than on all other. Uh, so, I mean, they do, they do drive us in a way, but not, not completely. Hmm. Now, how do you find audible? Are you been doing a lot of audible books? I listen to audible books. We do not do audio books because again, it gets into, um, you know, the, the, the risk versus reward. And, um, for an audio book, I know there are people doing it themselves, but I know I listen to audio books. Production quality is very important. So, like, you know, like anything, and production quality can really hurt a book. I feel it's something that we'd have to hire people to do, and I just don't have confidence that we will make back our money or even break even. So it's something, I don't rule it out for the future, but it's something that we at this time are not doing. Yeah. No, I understand that. Yeah, it can be pricey. Now, uh, let's talk about what's new. Uh, what's what's the newest books that you have out now? Well, the two new books that we have are um, Foreign Affairs, Male Tales of Lust and Love uh, by Daniel M. Jaffe, and I, I believe you interviewed him. And his book was um, his book. His book, very exciting. It's a starred book in Kirkus Reviews, and Kirkus Reviews has included it in their top 100 best short story collections for 2020. Wow. That's great. So, so that, that's very exciting. And it's been submitted for a Lambda Literary Award and is under consideration as by the American Library Association, whether it will be submitted, they will put it in to be uh, to nominate it for a uh, Stonewall Award from the American Library Association. So that's that's very exciting. We have out. Uh, I've mentioned several times, as far as I can tell, Finding My Father in World War II by Philip Gamboni. Uh, hopefully, that may be nominated for a Lambda Literary Award. We're, we're waiting to hear about that. But the exciting stuff that, you know, it, it's interesting because to me, we released those books in October and November, and to me it seems like it's about 4,000 years ago. <laughs> um, we're, we're coming out with a new collection of short stories. It's being released on February 11th. And it's actually... Um, it's it's a, an expanded collection of short stories. So it's called How to Whistle by Greg Shapiro. And um, there are some stories that were published before and some brand new stories. So that collection of short stories is coming out in um, on um, February 11th. And then I mentioned I'm working on, we're working on Yvonne Zipter's novel, Infraction. Uh, that should be coming out in the April-May time frame, and that's a very exciting book. First of all, it's our first period novel. It's set in about 1876, St. Petersburg, Russia. And the story centers around three characters, one of whom is Maria, 
who is more interested in mathematics than her husband. And her desire is to become a mathematician. But at that time in Russia, women could not go to university. Women could not study. Uh, she, through uh, various political meetings, uh, finds a partner, Vera. And uh, Maria uh, marries a, uh, a man, Sergei, who is so in love with Maria that he'll even accept a platonic marriage. And that, that's, it, it's, it's an incredible novel. We're very proud that we're going to be bringing that out um, in, uh, in the April-May timeframe. Uh, this summer, we're coming out with a novel by James Magruder, who is a playwright, Vamp Until Ready. And as I said, that focuses on the relationships and the evolution of four key characters. We're coming out with another history book, After Stonewall, by Sang-Suki Delacroix. And that's a follow-up to his first LGBTQ history of Chicago, uh, Chicago Whispers. That was published by the University of Wisconsin Press. And that went from Chicago, from the Explorers, up until uh, Stonewall. Um, Chicago after Stonewall picks up the history after Stonewall through the uh, first publication of a regular LGBTQ newspaper. Then we have Gerard Cabrera, Homo Novus. Um, it's centered on uh, a young uh, seminarian who is Puerto Rican and an older priest who they've been having a relationship for a number of years. Um, and that, that's, an, that's another, uh, I think that's, that's a great novel. Very excited about that. And then last but not least, we're coming, coming out with another illustrated book. So a couple of years ago, we came out with um, St. Suki's Strange Garden of Woodland Creatures, so that was written by St. Suki Delacroix, illustrated by the very talented artist Roy Alton-Wald. And they're hard at work on St. Suki's Lunatic Asylum for Demented Toys, um, which is set in the, uh, the, the village of Icing on the Cake. And it's about a lunatic asylum where crazy toys are brought to be fixed. Santa's workshop. <laughs> well, <laughs> perhaps, perhaps, but I'm, I'm amazed. I have, I have, I have seen it and I've seen the art and I'm amazed at what St. Suki Delacroix can write. And I'm even more amazed that, uh, artist Roy Alton Wald can illustrate it, but that's going to be uh, a much more, um, um, bolder move forward in, in our illustrated books. Uh, we're, we're going to be uh, taking a few more risks with that in terms of layout. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a lot going on. I, I, certainly, um, you've had some great books. Um, that you know, And uh, Foreign Affairs has got a great cover. Oh, thank you. That's Phil's father. Um, standing in front of his tank. So Phil's father is on the cover, standing in front of the tank. And that's, that's a really, you know, when we start getting into that and the subtleties of design. So I, I you know, we used Phil's father. I actually rummaged through um, an old suitcase I have of things from my parents from when my father was in the war. You know, I, so I tried to match fonts to 1940s fonts or fonts that were in use um, during that period. So it was designed with a nod to uh, 1940s styling. And it, it's probably our most, oh, ambitious work to date because it is so thoroughly researched and it has about 50 pages of endnotes. So that was a, uh, 
that was a, a very ambitious effort on our part. We're very proud of, of Phil's book. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Actually, all, all of the authors I've I've spoke to so far have been really nice. Um, I can't think of anything that, yeah, they're all really nice. Daniel Jaffe, um, really, really nice. And oh, and uh, Rick Carlin too. Paper cuts. Yes. Yeah, they're they're great. They're great people uh, to work with. We also as a as Again, it's something different, and I kind of go back to my software roots. It sounds weird that I go back to, you know, my software roots, but um, we have a highly collaborative approach. So there's almost, during the editing process, there's probably at least daily communication with the author where we're going back and forth. Um we're also, when it comes to the business side of things, uh, we, we pay our royalties twice a year, and we provide a very detailed royalty statement for every channel that the book is sold through, you know, be it Amazon, be it a third-party distribution. So we, and I, I only, you know, I only know how we're different my never having worked at a publisher or published a book before as a, you know, as an author, I only know how we're different based on what my authors tell us. And we strive to have a very, very high level of transparency and communication because I, I don't want anyone to have any surprises or anyone to think that, um, you know, we're not reporting sales accurately. And, and, and you may know this, Alan, sometimes that can be a challenge for an author to either get their royalties or know what's been sold. Yeah, yeah, I think um, <laughs> quite, quite a few of the authors, even myself, have had a bad experience to come go back to, you know. And uh, I, I think it's almost part of the business, unfortunately. There's always... Uh, one in there in your history that you kind of don't want to look at, don't want to remember, you know? But. Well, you know, and it's, you know, I, I think we're just more connected to our authors. But that's you good. Know, we don't have time. We don't have simultaneous. We're not capable of doing simultaneous projects. So we can't do parallel, you know, projects because, a lot of the same resources, and um, I, I, I. So I, I think the authors get a, a higher level of attention. But I, you know, I understand that I come from the business world. I come from the corporate world. You know, I know how these things go. You know, and you have an editor, you have a layout, you have all people that are under time crunches as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our book is done when it's done. How 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 is this? Um, uh, you know, the pandemic and all that. How is it done for you? And and I mean that, in, and not only in sales, but I mean in because uh, there's a lot of things people can't do. You know, there's not the book signings or the you know the the writer group meetings and all of that sort of thing um, going on. So was that kind of make make it harder as well? It, it certainly makes it challenging. We had plans, so, you know, a year ago before we all went into isolation. At this time last year, you know, I was preparing to go to Saints and Sinners in uh, the LGBTQ Literary Festival in New Orleans. I was going to moderate a panel, and I was supposed to be a participant on a panel. It was going to be my big coming out as the public face of Rattling Good Yarns. It, I had intended it to be a networking event as well for me. Right. That didn't happen. We had been planning to do, I had a venue lined up for October, this past October. We were going to have our writers, we were going to do uh, on a Saturday afternoon a, an author series with our writers and public readings. We couldn't do that. You know, I'm still struggling to figure out how to do that using something like Zoom and how to attract an audience. 
Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen much success. So, and I, yeah. it, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, was, I haven't seen much success in that sort of thing yet. Um, I've seen different different groups try it, and uh, I'm not. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem to be. I don't know. I'm not sure if that it works. You know, the whole Zoom and meeting or, or book party and all that online. It's. Uh, I don't know. My my hesitation is, if we did it and one or two people shows up, that's. I'd rather not do it. Right. Because then it becomes just emotionally a letdown for everyone. So, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what we're going to do. And, and, you know, we're not going to do it until I feel that we're ready. And I have some level of confidence. Yeah. It's a big project to take on, you know, the, the other, you know, something I notice with authors, like when they start promoting their own books, and it, it's really interesting. So when I went to the Saints and Center Literary Festival two years ago, many authors were, I heard the same thing, you know, that publishers don't do a whole lot of promotion. It's left up to the, to the author. Some of that I can see, you know, because if, you know, if we were to take out a $250 ad, well, I've got to be relatively confident that we're going to sell X number of books to recoup our investment. Um, so, you know, authors do a lot of, we do promotion. It's not that we, we don't do promotion, um, but we're, we're much more targeted and try to, you know, control our expenses. But one thing I notice when authors promote their books on like Facebook, they're like afraid to do a call to action. Like buy the book. <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's interesting. I had a conversation with an author recently and, you know, they had great comments. People were congratulating them, but I didn't see any sales. And I suggested maybe you should tell them congratulate you less and buy more. <laughs> and in their next posting, they said, you know, something like show me some love. Here's the link to buy. And we had some sales. Yeah. You know, so again, I go back to my my my. My background has always been in marketing. Um, and I've done many different roles in marketing, and I find it interesting that. People are just uncomfortable being direct with a call to action. Well, it's an uncomfortable feeling. Um, I'm that way myself. And I think writers have don't buy into a lot of advertising. They're, they're, they've got an intelligence. And the problem is you see, you see advertising and laugh at it and think it's silly. But for, for the most part, you don't jump at it. Uh, but they have to realize that a lot of people do. <laughs> no, I mean you have to have a call to action. Yeah. What do you? Yeah. What is? Oh, the a call to action is nothing more than what is the person reading this? Is it just oh well that's interesting and they move on, or are you asking them to do something like you're promoting it? You know it. it, it I, maybe it's just my training. I just don't get asking for the sale, you know. Yeah. You, you know, you don't live on love. Um, now we we did do uh, in it was in uh, November we started our our quarterly newsletter and we launched our first newsletter, um, and that was to people who subscribe to our newsletter and for your audience. If they go to the Rattling Good Yarns uh, website, it's rattlinggoodyarns.com, there is uh, a mailing list, and you can sign up for the mailing list. And that was very successful because I could, I could see from when we sent out the newsletter, I could see the direct sales. And we always like it when people come directly to us. But, you know, I could monitor – the Amazon sales and the uh, direct sales that happened around the release of the newsletter, and I could see a spike. 
Yeah. So yeah, there was yeah. there was cause and effect. And I could see when this author posted on uh, Facebook and said, show me some love by the book. I could see an order. Do you know what I mean? Oh, for so, sure. Yeah. Don't think just because people click like or the heart or the hug. You have to help, you have to tell them to open up their wallets and spend some money. As I say, congratulate less, buy more. Yeah. Well, and it's just it's it's a simple phrasing. Like even if I'm posting about a show on Facebook or something, it's like uh, I'll have a you know find out about listen now or uh, you know you yes. have to you have to put this yeah direction almost and people will do it if you don't if you just post it people will look at the picture and keep going you know exactly exactly so, yeah and i and i it, it feels silly uh, but i and i understand why writers don't do it because it does feel silly to to say get your copy today or write you know something like that because it feels like well you why should i have to do that but it's kind of a I don't know. It's just a human behavior, and it works, and I'm not sure why. I don't know. Well, Alan, I'm going to come back to what you said, that you're competing against more content in the marketplace. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't ask for the sale, someone else won't. Yeah, and someone else will get it. <laughs> and and I'm going to have to shoot them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm terrible. You know, um, well, let's talk about uh, how people find the books. So you said Rattling Good Yarns Press, and that's the yeah. Best so place it, to go. It, it's Rattling Good Yarns Press. So it's rattlinggoodyarns.com. Uh, so they can go to our website, and we show what we're what's coming out soon. You can order our books uh, through the website. Uh, we offer free shipping. So anything bought through our website, we, we ship for free in the United States. Uh, you can go to Amazon. You can go to any online book seller. Uh, you can go to your local independent bookseller. I, I, it, I'd be surprised if they stock the books, but they can order it for you if you want to support your local uh, independent uh, bookseller. Um, you name it and we, we are available. So if, you know, if someone doesn't have our book, you, they can order it for you and it's available through all the online bookseller channels. Also on your website, you have a buy a bundle and save as well. So you do have bundle. So when you buy a couple of books, you do get a discount. Yeah, those are in the series. So we yeah. have the Spong series with, you know, so it's the same books in the series. So the Spong series, the Blue Spong and the Flight for Mediocrity, and the Orange Spong and Storytelling at the Vamp Arts Cafe, that's a bundle. And then for Tell Me About It, we have um, we we have a couple of bundles. So you save money by buying buying a bundle. And again, it's it's free shipping. You can't go wrong with that. No, and if you sign up for our newsletter, I mean, you'll get our newsletter. We we do release promotional coupons from time to time um, for special discounts, you know, sales we're running. So the best, another great, and we only send out a newsletter quarterly because, you know, I don't want to be in the habit of, you know, just dropping things in people's mailboxes every every few days. So it's a quarterly newsletter, and you can sign up for the mailing list by going to our website. You can also find us on Facebook under Rattling Good Yarns Press. Are there any nude pictures that come with that? Or? Of who, me? <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> Just thought I'd ask. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't know if you've seen the cover of um, – well, you interviewed Daniel Foreign Affairs, yeah, which is which is a, a, a shirtless guy posing with a globe, and uh, a globe at a, a small globe at his crotch. And I am surprised at how 
provocative and how that has delighted some people and have upset some people. Well, you know, I, I like it. Um, but I think ooh, it's a tough one because uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But what it does is it suggests, I think, sexuality. And that's always going well, the, the globe. The globe casts a shadow. Yeah. And, you know, so when we did the photo session for that, there were about 110 photographs that were taken. And we chose one. And at no point that was that was completely unplanned. The sun just happened to be in that position in the sky. And nobody <laughs> noticed that when we were taking the photographs. So it's pretty amusing. But I'll tell you something else that's amusing. We had a, a little bit of a spate of guys and women having their husbands taking. So guys having photographs taken and women taking pictures of their husband shirtless, the same thing with like a little globe. So, (laughs) which, you know, with the globe. So it was like this, you know, spoof on the foreign affairs cover, which, which I thought, I thought was uh, wonderful, but getting back to nude photographs. No, I I think that would have to be a special email request. Oh, okay. Well, I thought I'd ask. That's all. I, I'm 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 the advertising guy, you know. <laughs> but but I will I will I will tell you what I find very amusing um, is sometimes how in the course of the day I will shift gears. So I'll be fully immersed in the morning in Russia, Saint Petersburg in Russia in 1876, you know, and and all this more period dialogue and I'm very immersed in that and then I'll switch gears to a manuscript about uh that takes place a sex contest taking place in European bathhouses and I'll switch from that to something set in the porn industry and I I just think oh my god you know to switch between some of these subject matters is Makes life interesting. It does. It does. <laughs> well, well, we are coming out of time. Um, it's been fun. Um, our guest has been Ian Hensel, and we're talking about Rattling Good Yarns Press. And of course, anybody listening can find the website right from ours. Thank you for being here, Ian. Well, we love we we love your show, Alan. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.